if we become the body, then he will supply the blood. If we become a family, he will supply the love. <laughs> this is date stamped, so that's my next song. No one can steal that lyric. Um, when we come together <laughs> and literally become the body and really invest in one another's lives, for better or for worse, um, it means that the parts of the body have come together and, and the circulatory system is getting formed, which means blood can come. But if I'm missing my arm, all my blood's going to drain out, isn't it? Which means I need you. Because yeah. I might not be an arm in the body of Christ. I might be a kneecap. <laughs> or a pinky toe. <laughs> But if, if we're all discombobulated and separated as a body, then blood can't flow through us, can it? And the blood is the power, right? We, we love the blood. We love that redeeming power of forgiveness of the blood of Christ. We love it. But we're not going to have it if we don't become a body. All our blood will just fall out. <laughs> this is actually really good news. Um, so we get really concerned about what words we're supposed to say when we get around people and having all of our ducks in a row and being able to recite the Romans Road and have all of our theology to lead someone to Jesus. All, all that stuff is great. Don't get me wrong, I love studying the Word. I, love, I even love studying theology. But um, if Jesus walked up to you, he wouldn't have to say a word, would he? You guys have that, that same face on you now. You've been transformed into his likeness. You are bearers of his image. You can smile someone right out of hell. Amen. <laughs> The eyes are the window to the soul. So when your eyes get unlocked and they're all pure, then people will see you right into Jesus. Um, it's really this amazing privilege, uh, the things that we get to do for Jesus and, and the stuff that we get to walk in. It's, it's beyond imagination. It, I mean, it's beyond good. The, the privileges that we now get to walk in. There was this um, old system of justice in, uh, in the Old Testament. It was called an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which means that if you stole my sheep, I'm getting one of your sheep. If you, uh, it, it's, it's this payback system. If, if you murder someone, then your life will be taken. That was the system of justice for a very long time until this guy came along. Do you guys know his name? That's right. <laughs> My favorite Sunday school answer. <laughs> he, uh, he changed everything. How could he possibly change that entire system of justice? 
Well, it was kind of simple, but really profound. Um, he was murdered, and he is the judge of the universe. And so while he was being murdered, he looked at his murderers and said, I don't hold this against you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They really, it's not a figure of speech. He's looking down at his children that are killing him and he's saying, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. Father, don't hold this against them. Forgive them, Lord. And in that moment, justice was rewritten. And there's a new name for justice. It's called mercy. Now mercy triumphs over judgment. The Lord told me that he forgave those that put him on the cross. He looked down at his murderers and he forgave them. And then he said, to the, he said this to me, you won't walk in the freedom of my mercy until you realize that you are one of the ones that put me on that cross. I was looking down at you. See, we can't fully love God until we fully hate sin, and we can't fully hate sin until we realize that we, it was our sin that caused him to get up on that cross, that caused him to suffer. So we have, we've got this uh, system of justice in the, in the U.S. What's the... Uh, the highest court that we have, Supreme. Supreme Court, and what supreme authority do they have? What can they? What kind of th authority can they exercise over someone that's on trial? Death. Death. They can. They can say that you're going to have to pay for what you did with your life, or you're going to be in prison forever, or they can acquit you. You can be acquitted of the charges. And there's this cool thing about the U.S. court system is that you can't be put on trial for this same crime twice. Which is actually something that our founding fathers, they tapped into the heart of God with that one. Because once you've been acquitted, you're acquitted. Once you've put your faith in Jesus and trusted him to give you a new life... The righteousness of Christ is now your identity. And you can't be put on trial again. Isn't that great? You've been acquitted. But our, our court system has the power to end your life or put you in prison forever or to acquit you of all charges. So in the same way, what's the supreme authority that our high judge in heaven has? He can acquit you of all charges or he can issue the death penalty and you can be put in prison forever that is a real reality a real reality that's deep Jeremy <laughs> get a thesaurus man <laughs> deep thoughts with Jack Handy um 
So in Genesis 2-7, God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And Adam was given authority over the earth. He was actually commissioned in that moment to dominate, cultivate, commune, and to multiply. If you ever want to know what your purpose is, still that. To dominate, to take dominion, to cultivate a relationship with the Lord and a relationship with each other. To commune, which means to have intimacy with the Lord and to multiply. Which Ashley and I are very good at. We have three children in two and a half years. I love that purpose of man. Thank you, God. (laughs) Not just multiply in the natural, but we create disciples after the nature of Christ. See how I clean that up? (laughs) What gave life to man? His breath, when God got down on his knees and breathed into a man-shaped lump of clay, (laughs) became a real man. Did you know there's only one other reference in Scripture where God came and breathed onto man? It seems like a pretty important thing. Someone was telling me this weekend, uh, where are you? Ryan, there you are. One of our students. I love Ryan Stokes. He's telling me uh, the Holy Spirit is interpreted the breath of life as well. It, they're, they're pretty interchangeable throughout all of uh, Scripture. And so it would be an important thing to get breathed on by God, don't you think? It only happened twice in Scripture. And both times a commissioning happened. And both times a new creation was made. It happened in John chapter 20. The resurrected man, Jesus Christ, walked into the room with his disciples. These guys that he was so proud of. And he breathed on him. And he said, receive now the Holy Spirit. First he said, as the Father sent me, so now I send you. Receive now the Holy Spirit. He breathed on him. And then he commissioned him. Do you know what he said? Whatever sins you forgive will be forgiven. Whatever sins you retain will be retained. He entrusted to them the ministry of mercy and reconciliation in that moment. This is a crazy privilege that the Lord has entrusted to us. (laughs) Can you imagine Jesus standing before the Father before he became a, a baby laid in a cattle feeder next to steaming piles of manure. This is how the king of glory came into our realm. But can you imagine Jesus standing next to the father and the father walks up to him and puts his hands on his beloved son's shoulders and breathes on him and says, go forgive him. Go forgive him. He sends him. And then Jesus... Jesus said that's exactly how it happened. 
Because he said, as the Father sent me, so now am I sending you. And he breathed on us and said, go forgive them. See, Adam was given all authority over the earth. And then the second, final, last Adam, Jesus, he says in Matthew 28, I believe it's verse 18, all authority in where? Heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he sends him off. Which means that Jesus did something crazy. Since he's the firstborn of many brethren, and we're his brothers now, and his blood flows through our veins, we now have the DNA of, the, of God the Father running through us. He even said, greater works than these will you do in my name because I go to the Father. Now all authority has been given to us, which means that we can exercise authority in the heavenly realm. It says, whatever you bind in the heavens will be bound on earth. Isn't that cool? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the heavens. Whatever you, bind, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in the heavens. Isn't that wonderful news? See, Jesus came forgiving. Uh, he was always upsetting these guys called the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And in uh, Matthew chapter 9, this was what really, really ticked them off. Um, there's this paralyzed man, and Jesus comes up to him and says, your sins are forgiven. And these guys are now enraged because who can forgive sins but God alone, right? This guy, is, he's blasphemous. And Jesus says to him, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? It actually is easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's like four words. Your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk. He's totally right. <laughs> but he was actually saying something different in that moment. He said, but that you may know that the Son of Man, he's got plenty of names, right? He used a specific name to hammer something home here. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So Jesus showed us this crazy amount of mercy. What does he expect of us now? It's real simple. Just do the same. When someone sins, let them off the hook. When they sin against you, let them off the hook. In the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 Jesus says, if you are worshiping the temple, presenting your gift in the temple, which means like our comparison would be Thursday night worship, so stinking good, up here in the anointing, worshiping Jesus while David sings his lungs out to the Lord. If you're in that place and you realize that your brother has something against you, first go to him and be, try to be reconciled with him. And then come back and present your gift. 
I used to think that was like all about unity, and that's, that's a great message too. But what had happened is your brother chose to put himself in prison when he decided to hold something against you. I know that's true because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus says, If you don't forgive others when they sin, your Father won't forgive you. That's an important verse. Anybody in here want to be forgiven by God continually and, and walk in the mercies that rain down from heaven? That's me. Um, which means that we, we should probably forgive people if we want to walk in that realm of mercy. Okay, so if someone sinned against you and you hold it in your heart, you hold this grudge against them and you want, you want them to pay for it. You want them to understand what they did to you and really get it, their up and comings. You want karma to wreck shop on that person. It feels good. That bitterness, it's actually a sedative for the pain. What do you think they offered Jesus on the cross? Bitter gall. It was a sedative for his pain. Jesus wouldn't drink bitterness. So when you choose to not forgive someone, what you do is you crawl back under this rusty old shed called the law, the old covenant. And this rusty old shed keeps the merciful reins of the Lord from reaching you. I have good news. There's a get out of free jail card. It's called forgive them. Get out of jail free card. <laughs> I had a buddy that betrayed me when I was 18 years old. It's a long story, um, but the crazy gist of it is that I decided to throw a drinking party in my church sanctuary. I was like a student youth leader at age 18. One of my buddies got hammered, threw up all over the nursery carpet. I'm trying to clean it up, but I'm doing a really bad job. This is Saturday night. We're all just plastered in the church, and I can't clean up this giant puddle of vomit very well. And then my buddy smells it. He throws up everywhere, too. And so it's just this compounding vomit party inside the nursery of the church, and we just decide to drive home. <laughs> Next morning, Sunday morning, I sleep for like four hours, wake up, still drunk. Guess what? I'm on the worship team. <laughs> I can't wait to get out of there. Worship ends. I throw my guitar down. But first, I want to go check out what kind of cleaning job we did now that I'm, I have my wits about me a little bit more. I go in the nursery. The smell hits me. It's terrible. All the children look really depressed. And, and my buddy is leading the nursery that day. And I look at him. I'm like, Dan, what's that smell? And uh, he's like, I don't know, man, but I'm so mad. I was like, okay, see ya. And... I go home and sleep, and then in the afternoon, I find out one of my buddy calls, buddies calls me up, the one, that was, one of them that was partying with me, and he said, man, I called Dan. I told him that we partied last night at the church. You should have been there, man. 
And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Okay, so Dan is now really mad at me because first of all, I didn't invite him to party with us. <laughs> Secondly, I lied to him to his face and he had to sit in that stinky room all through the church service. And so he goes right to my pastor and he tells my pastor, it was me, rats me out. And I'm furious. Um, but I'm also terrified because this pastor has the ability to take me off of worship team. I was, you know, being groomed to take over the youth group. And I was like this poster boy church kid. And, and, um, and so I, I think, you know, I need to go, I don't, I need to go confess to my pastor right away so that maybe he'll think that I don't know that he already knows. <laughs> See, twisted. Don't pretend like you haven't done it. And so I, <laughs> I go in the office, I tell him, this is what I did. I'm so sorry. And he looks at me and he says, Jeremy, I'll never forget this. He says, Jeremy, I want you to know I was absolutely furious about that. But you're at a stage in life, you're going to make decisions that are either going to affect you for Jesus or for not, not for Jesus. And, and I want you to know that from me, from, you know, when it comes to me, you are completely forgiven. I'm not going to take away any of your responsibilities, and I'm not going to tell your parents. I'm not going to tell anyone. He completely let me off the hook. I go from that meeting to meeting with Dan. And I go up to Dan and I say, Dan, I can't believe you betrayed me like that. Our friendship is over. You will never hear from me again. And then I entered into this delusion where I, I didn't even believe my encounters with the Lord anymore. I didn't have faith in Jesus. And I just started taking drugs, destroying my body and sleeping with women. And, and I was just a mess, just destroying myself for years. And then I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit, brought me back into the kingdom. I reconciled my relationship with Dan. But in hindsight, what happened is I was the idiot that actually, personally, word for word, acted out that parable of the wicked servant. You know, the guy that stole, you know, many thousands of dollars from his master, and he goes and begs him for forgiveness, and then that guy, you know, lent out a little bit of money to a buddy, and he, and he goes to the, the guy that owes him money, and he chokes him, and, and throws him into jail, and says, you pay me every penny, and then the master catches wind of it, brings the wicked servant in, and says, I forgave you of such a huge debt, how could you not forgive that guy? Now it's your turn to go to prison. I put myself in prison where the mercies of the Lord couldn't reach my brain. And I was given over to a deluded mind. <clears throat> For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's this other verse in uh, one of the Gospels where it says... <laughs> Judge not, and you won't be judged. That sounds pretty nice to me. One time the Lord told me that um, for the sake of the world, it's better that injustices fall on me than on unbelievers. It's like, wow, that doesn't sound very fun at all. It's better that injustices fall on believers. 
which means that God will think so highly of you that he will entrust people's sinning against you to you. Do you know why? Because we don't pay it back. We don't pay it forward. We forgive, which means it's wiped from history. We walk around like these bottomless pits for sin to exit the world through. That is what Jesus did. He said, if you want to hit somebody, hit me. I'll take it. Release all your rage on me. I'm not my own. I don't belong to myself. I understand something. I'm going to just take all of this sin out of the world. See, I used to think that I can go ahead and forgive people because God's really going to make them pay for it. Yeah, I'll let you off the hook, but God's going to get you. You know? You've thought this. That's not forgiveness. True forgiveness is actually releasing someone from paying the penalty for what they did against you. See, this is the brand new kind of justice that Jesus released on the cross. Do you know that the very people that murdered Jesus, the masterminds behind the plan, the Judases and the high priests and, and all the people that were pulling strings and making this murderous plot happen, when they stood before the Lord, they may have had a, a list of sins a mile long, but you, do, do you know what they won't find on that list? Murdering Jesus. It won't be on their list. Do you know why? As Jesus said, don't hold this against them. I acquit them. Father, view them as innocent of this crime. This is great news. Remember what I said at the beginning? You put Jesus on the cross. He looked down from that cross said, I'm not going to hold this against you. There's this guy that uh, really got a hold of this truth. His name is Stephen. From what we know from Scripture, he was the first guy that had the privilege to repeat the words of Jesus and the same kinds of sufferings that Jesus faced. Oh, man, I love this guy. Right? Stephen, he's surrounded by these snarling, snapping jackals of men that have been overtaken by a religious demon and all they want to do is destroy and tear Stephen apart. This gracious, miracle-working servant of Christ. And the stones are flying at him. Heaven opens up before Stephen and he sees this vision. Guess what he sees? He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. After uh, Jesus ascended to heaven, we have all these scriptures that say Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, right? Stephen saw him standing. Which means Jesus is looking down at Stephen, saying, I can't stay seated for this one. 
He's standing up in honor of Stephen and he's elbowing the father saying, it's working father. My love, look at my Stephen. And, and the father and the son from heaven hear Stephen quote Jesus. Don't hold this against them. Father, forgive them. <laughs> it was so powerful. And who was orchestrating this whole moment? Saul. Stephen died so well in that moment. 44 verses later, Saul is ransomed out of the kingdom of darkness and becomes the guy that writes half of our New Testament. See, Jesus does not look lightly on the sufferings of his kids. When we die well, there will be a harvest. See, Stephen forgave Saul right out of the, the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light. As he was dying, he knew it was just another act of evangelism. And he was saying, Father, don't hold this against those guys, but instead bring them into the kingdom through this. Stephen could not let his blood condemn another man. He had an understanding of eternity that his death would actually ransom Saul. He took the death out of murder. Those men were actually pardoned by his prayer, and as hard as they tried, they could not hurt a man that was already dead. He had laid down his life a long time ago. There's a lot of stuff I can say about his mercy, but let me just kind of end on this thought. Paul said this crazy thing in Colossians 1.24. He said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul, dude, that is rude. That's one of the most offensive things I've ever heard. Did you seriously just say what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? What I'm not saying is that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't perfect. We know Jesus' sacrifice is perfect and his blood ransomed men out of the domain of darkness. Initiated a new covenant. No one can do what Jesus did in that moment. His sacrifice was perfect, but Paul said, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Did you know that Paul, after he came to the Lord, um, okay, he gets blinded, and then God gives, uh, what's that guy's name, Ananias? Who's the guy that led this vision? He said, this is, this is my servant. I'm going to show him what he must suffer for my sake. Paul then became the most marred, hated, beaten man the world had ever seen. Have you ever read 2 Corinthians 11? That is a serious resume for apostleship. Paul is talking about being beaten five times. The four, five times he received the 40 lashes minus one, which means those same stripes that tore Jesus' flesh off his back. Paul got it five times. He was beaten with rods. 
He was stoned and dragged outside of a city, left for dead. That's a cool scene. He's been shipwrecked. Days and nights he's spent out. I mean, he's known nakedness and hunger and danger from men in the, in the wilderness and the cities and danger from false brethren. And on top of all of this, he faces the daily pressures of his care for the church. And he is literally someone who has been beaten up more than Jesus. So we actually get to partner with Jesus in his sufferings. Martyrdom is going to increase. They're going to be trying to assassinate you. Your royalty. They're going to try to assassinate you. (laughs) And maybe... You know, Captain Religious won't actually get a revelation of the mercy of God and come into the kingdom until he is slandering you and beating you and launching websites, just writing the most foul lies about you to try to tear down your reputation so that no one would listen to the words that you're saying. Maybe that guy won't actually get a revelation of the Lord's mercy until you step in and you start writing these beautiful things about that man. And you forgive him. And you invite him over for dinner. You give him tickets to every time, you know, you, you speak. He can come to any one of your conferences and take notes against you. Maybe one of our future brothers, who is now a Muslim, won't become one of our future brothers until he is beating you to death while you intercede for him. This is why Peter said in 1 Peter 2.19, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For to this you have been called. Y'all want to know your calling? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You've been called to suffer for Jesus. This is really great news. So we have this get out of jail free card. It's called forgive. Forgive them. And uh, I'm going to speed talk now um, because that's what we do when we've run over our time. Um, (laughs) That made me lose my train of thought. We forgive him. But Jeremy, what about this pain that I still feel? I guess that means I didn't forgive him. No, it, it means that you're going through a process of healing. But you forgive when you choose to forgive. You exercise your will, which is now the most powerful thing in the universe, by the way. You exercise your will to forgive that person. And then you walk out this healing with the Lord. Do you know that when... Well, let me ask you this. When did Jesus forgive us? I said it earlier. He's up on that cross. He said, Father, don't hold this against him. Forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. Okay? But he's still on that cross covered in the pain of our betrayal. He's still experiencing the pain of that betrayal. Even though he has exercised his will and forgiven. 
And then he says something that we're all going to have to say. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Means, come what may, whatever happens, you got me. He laid down his life and he was resurrected without pain. Do you guys want to lay down your lives for the Lord tonight so that you can be resurrected without pain? I'm not selling you swampland in Florida. This is real. <laughs> this is real. You're saying, it still hurts God what they did to me. Jesus even asked this, why? Anyone ever asked the Lord that? Why? Why did this happen to me? Why did they do that to me? Why did they hate me? Why did this terrible thing occur? Into your hands I commit my spirit. This is the best news of all. He is not a God of the grave. He is a God of resurrection. He wants us to lay down all that pain. He wants us to lay down our life. He wants us to die like he did, like Stephen did. And we'll be resurrected without pain. We have this cool ministry here called Luke 4.18. It's a deliverance ministry. And one of the main things that they focus on is taking you to places where you've been hurt and letting Jesus show up in that memory. I went through a week of it. And now all those places, those shaming events, the trauma, the times when I was wronged, I can actually look back on many of them. And when I used to feel the emotion, when I used to feel the pain, the anger, the shame. I don't feel it anymore. The memory's still there. It's wonderful to walk around that free. 